0: to our New Chapel podcast. We're for people to connect with God and be raised to new life in Christ. Be sure to connect with us at newchapel.com and on social media to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel. Well, good morning, gang. Uh, Welcome to Pledge Sunday, the day where we are gonna make our line in the sand and our pledges to God's great work I'm only really excited to be a part of a church that's really making a difference. I know, right? And, uh, and today's going to be pretty significant. If you have your Bibles, open with me to Isaiah chapter 54. Your Bible should just be falling over to that spot at this point in the game. I get it. Uh, in Isaiah 54, it was written by the prophet Isaiah to the people, the children of Israel, and it was written in their time of captivity in Babylon, We also know that it's a word from God to the New Testament church. Paul clarifies that in Galatians chapter 4. But we believe at New Chapel that it is God's specific word, a personalized word for our church in this holy moment of our uh, our church and congregation. So uh, if you are visiting here today, man, you get to hear a little bit about family business. We're letting you in on the inside talk. And it's not that uh, I'm not excited that you're here. I'm pumped that you're here. But I want you to know that we're a church that really cares about you. We've made room for you. That's really what today is. Today's a bit of family discussion about where we're going and how we're going to get there. Uh, This journey has been all about focusing on the mission of Jesus in advancing the work of God as we expand this house. And today, at the end of our time together, we're going to give you an opportunity, all of us in the room, to make our pledge toward God. Uh, Next week, don't forget, is our miracle offering Sunday. It's going to be a great day. We heard it today, Isaiah 54. Here we go. The Bible says, Enlarge the place of your tent. Let them stretch out the curtains of your dwelling. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. For you shall expand to the right and to the left. 1792, a 31-year-old preacher named William Carey was given the opportunity to preach at a pastor's gathering. This was a pastor's group of Baptist preachers, and they were the pastors of their local congregations. They all came together, and he preached a message. The title of his sermon was Expect Great Things from God and Attempt Great Things for God. His text was none other than Isaiah 54. He did not know this, but that day he would preach a message that would become really timeless. In fact, people from all denominations have looked back at when William Carey preached this message and they call it the deathless sermon. In other words, it has longevity. It doesn't give up. It still fuels people to this day. He preached about the requirement of the church not just to be focused on therefore and no more, but to get outside of the box. He talks about God's uh, heart to reach people who are far from him that we can't just live in the comfort of our homes and our lives and our lifestyle. There's nothing wrong with being blessed, but he said that we need to be people that can't just find our solace in the stuff. We've got to be uncomfortable for Jesus and reach people who don't know him, those who have never heard. Amen, somebody? Something caught in the heart of those pastors that day. A shift happened. Modern leadership would call this a tipping point. And these preachers, they went back to their churches And brought that fire like something was ignited in their hearts and they lit their congregations on fire. They got excited. He launched William Carey that day, the beginning of the modern missions movement that we know up until current days. At first... There were thousands of people that begin to go out to the missions field, and now today millions have gone to the furthest stretch of the globe. He revitalized the mission of God in his generation, and it was from Isaiah 54 that he preached, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. And I believe this, maybe you believe it, the same passion that lit hearts in 1792. God is igniting that in this church today. Amen, somebody? I believe that. We see it. We see it happening. So what does it say in the text? It says, enlarge the place of your Tent, the place of your tent. God is is literally speaking to them uh, about a tent, but also spiritually and symbolically speaking about other and greater things. Now, he's talking about a tent because the, the children of Israel, they understood this. They were a nomadic people of God, and they had to move all the time. They were very familiar with the tent and how it worked. They knew what happened when you expanded your family and how you had to put the the outstretch of your tent up a little bit, add another flap out there. They understood this type of thing. They got it. And they also understood the symbolism, that the tent is really a picture, a symbol of our life two big things. The first uh, symbol that I think it's really difficult to miss is the fact that the tent is symbolic for our physical life, your physical body, your existence in this world. And some of y'all are looking at me like, well, Pastor Joe, I believe that's true. I'm a little bit older and I have enlarged the place of my tent. You know, Some of you have stretched out. You've got the marks to prove it. (laughs) Some of you men, you have little holes in your tent. I don't know. But uh, physically, our life is a little bit like a tent what does that mean? It's fragile. I think that a tent is, is fleeting or momentary. It's temporary, and so is life. Life is a lot like a tent. And, and the reality of that is something that either consciously or subconsciously, we try to avoid the conversation of our own mortality, of our own existence. It's something that we don't want to really think about. We don't want to contemplate the brevity of life because life is short. And so what do we do? We, we try to immerse ourselves in other things. We try to immerse ourselves in entertainment. We try to immerse ourselves in our career or, or success or in our stock portfolio, anything to take our attention off from the fact that the days are flying by. And we can feel, we have the feeling of more security and control. And perhaps it's control that we know in our heart of hearts we don't really have. As we approach Isaiah 54, We're confronted with the shortness of this life, that we will not be here for a long time. And I believe this, that's a good thing that we confront that. That should shake us a little bit, right? That that should inform how we value this life and the time that we have. Because this fleeting life, my belief is, for my study of the scriptures, it should be used for something greater than what we're currently living there's a bigger purpose in your life than just living a life where you're just grinding it out at work and maybe we'll go to our favorite restaurant here and there or have the friends over you're just living for the next weekend no god doesn't want you to put your life on hold and just live it on the weekends your life is for living and he wants you to live it on purpose with a purpose that's bigger than the life that you're living today amen somebody life is fleeting We need to use it for something bigger. So the tent represents life, yes, our physical life, but I think it also represents our mindset. It represents our thoughts. It's our perspective because a tent can expand and a tent can collapse. And we have to be people that understand that our perspective in life must be stretched. I'm here to tell you that oftentimes in the Bible, and certainly if you attend a good church, you're going to be confronted with the brutal facts The fact of the matter is the way that you're thinking needs to change. Isaiah 54 challenges us to confront our current reality, but to confront it with faith, to to change our perspective along the lines of what God would have for our life. And, And you need to realize that your thoughts naturally today are too small to contain the bigness of our God. You're going to have to change the way that you think, rewire a little bit, reprogram. God's purpose is big. Now, that's why we have to be intentional about it. We have to be thoughtful about how we, how we place our mind. What are we thinking about? Kai and I, recently, we found a little life hack. We both have Audible, and we're listening to the one-year Bible. Kai is listening to it at 0.8 speed, real slow. And she's got, like, James Earl Jones showing up, talking about what Moses did, you know, all that kind of stuff. I am listening to like the most sterile dude ever at, at speed 1.7 on Audible because it's like, let's go, got to get that Bible in, let's, let's just take it. And so you've got to be very conscious and intentional about rewiring your brain because if I don't intentionally do those things, I'm just like you, I'll drift. Faith doesn't come from having heard. Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Do you see what I'm talking about? So you have to constantly immerse yourself in the Word of God and hear it and hear it again. Because if you don't, you'll drift. So this, this week was the week from hell, for me. Like like and it makes sense, right? We're doing big things as a church. God's opening up doors, and we had a great prayer meeting the next day. As my father would so eloquently put, in other words, the feces hit the oscillator. Okay, and uh, a lot of things happened. And, and I'm taking these gut punches, like bad news, one after another. And I'm not doing this to complain to you or whine. Here's what I'm trying to say. There was a day where I would have just taken the hits. And like you, this is very much like the tribe at New Chapel. I'm a rugged individualist. You don't have to push on my chest so I can breathe. I'll figure it out. I'll pull myself up. And I'd try. Here's what I would do. I'd start to try to think my way out of it. And I'd get caught fighting spiritual attack in trying to fight with the weapon of my mind. And God gave you a brain. You need to use it. In fact, I think more Christians should. But but what what I'm trying to say is I've grown in maturity to the spot where all these hits started happening. And I thought, this is not reasonable. This is not normal. And I'm able to get to the spot of maturity in my life where I can lift up and be like, this is the attack of the enemy. Oh man, that Joker! And it's almost like he's a real poor leader, right? Like he's like, okay, release the Kraken, go, you know. And the next thing hits it. All right, send in the crows. A murderer of crows, you know. You can see him coming a mile away, and, and, and you begin to realize the devil always overplays his hand. So I'm able to take hands with my family, and we prayed and took authority over the attack of the enemy. We're already beginning to see the attack recede, and here's what it was. God wanted me to get distracted. He wanted me to get overwhelmed. He wanted me to get narrow about things, not to spend the time in prayer to, to bust up the unity that we have. I'm not doing that. I'm not biting at the attack, but here's why. Here's why I'm saying that. I've had to change my perspective I've got to change how I approach these type of issues and not just see them as these little hits that I'm going to take, and I'm a man's man, I'll take the hits. Uh Uh-uh. I have a God who's bigger than me, who can work things out better than me. Amen, somebody? And so I can pray, I can use my mind, but I can trust him. Here's what I'm saying. Jot this down. If we approach God with an inaccurate perspective, you're going to miss the opportunity to house the miracle that he intends for you. If you approach him and you think one way, but God has bigger for you, you'll at least miss out on the difference, perhaps even more. Say amen, somebody. Amen. There's a passage in the New Testament, and, and honestly, especially for me as a preacher, it's, it's a fairly terrifying prospect if you read it. Jesus goes back to his hometown to preach. And as he's preaching there, he preaches a sermon and he gets ready to minister to the people and as he begins to minister, he hits this block. This is what it says in Mark's gospel, chapter 6. Scripture says this, because of their unbelief, because of their unbelief, he couldn't. Now put that in your theological pipe and smoke it. He couldn't? This is Jesus. He's God, right? God couldn't, he, Jesus couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed. Here's what he's amazed at. This is what I don't want God to be amazed about my life. He was amazed at their lack of faith. So, so, so they didn't see Jesus as the Messiah, the son of the living God. They didn't see Jesus as, as the incarnate God, the wonder-working God, the one who walks on water, the one whose nothing's impossible. They didn't see Jesus that way. What did they see him as? Much smaller than he actually was. They saw him as Mary and Joseph's son. Wow. That's who they saw grow up in their midst. They saw him as average and ordinary, and their perspective was small. That's why the Bible says that we need to magnify the Lord. Do you know when you magnify the Lord, you're not making Jesus any bigger? He's actually big enough, okay? You're you're making him bigger in your perspective. You're making him bigger in your perspective than your problem. You say, well, Pastor, what does that do? The opposite is already at play in many of our lives. You are magnifying the problem bigger than your God. My friend, don't do that. Now, the text tells us not that he would not, Not that he should not, he couldn't. He could not do the miracles there. See, they didn't experience the fullness of what God Almighty desired for them because of their personal viewpoint, their personal little perspective, small perspective on God. They limited the providence of God Almighty, and so can you. And that's heavy. It makes you ask yourself the question, how many of God's miracles... Could I have hindered because of my small perspective of what God could do, of, 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 of my perspective of what he could accomplish in my life? Where have I limited him in my existence? Guys, it, it makes me think that we need to enlarge our tent. We need to open up our eyes, expand our perspective. It makes me think about Abraham. I, I won't have you turn there, but if you want extra homework, and I have people here that like that thing. Genesis chapter 15 and 16 read the whole narrative yeah. it is thrilling but God gives a promise to Abraham and he receives it but it's not really active and years go by and he's holding on to the promise and he's even taking steps of faith but as he's doing all of these things it still isn't, it still isn't really real it hasn't materialized there isn't like a, a spiritual momentum if you will moving him forward. And so he's living his life, nomadic, like I said, the people of, of God were, in this tent. And God visits him in his tent. And he, he says, Abraham, I have a promise on your life that they converse back and forth. And Abraham isn't getting it. And he pulls Abraham out of the tent and shows him all the stars of the Middle Eastern sky. I've been there. And that dry desert, that sky is so much more vivid than we have here, even with the light pollution we faced. And as I was looking at that sky, I thought about Abraham, and Abraham surely saw just all the stars. And God says, that's what your descendants are going to be like. That's the great nation. And from that moment, Abraham, he had the promise, but the promise became real to him in that moment. What happened? He stepped out of his tent in his narrow perspective, that, that, that compression that he was experiencing, and he got under God's canopy and God became the lifter of his head, and he saw the vision. He saw the greater thing. Your perspective matters. It makes me think about uh, how, how we really have to concentrate on making this personal. Because we can, we can look at Abraham and think, well, that's him. But make it personal. What about you? What are you going through? What, what are you living? You might think that you're living an impossible situation. Not true. But it feels that way. An impossible situation like, you know, Pastor Joe, you don't understand. I'm in a ton of debt. It's overbearing. In fact, I did it. There's a tax on stupidity and it's credit card interest. I did it. I'm in this mess. I don't see a way out. I just want to hit the easy button so I can be out of this junk and have freedom. I don't feel like I can breathe. The debt is is crushing. Pastor, you don't understand my marriage. We didn't see it coming. We drifted apart. We, We feel differently. Both of us feel differently about each other than we did when we started off. I said too much to her. She said too much to me. I don't see how God could ever do that in my marriage. Pastor you don't understand the depression that I'm under. It's overbearing. It feels crushing in my life. I feel like this thing on my back will never get off. I believe God could do it for somebody else. I hope he does. But I don't see how I'm ever going to have that level of freedom. I don't know how God could ever forgive me. You don't know what I did and how far I went and what I said. What I did was evil, Pastor Joe. There's no way God can forgive a person like me. Your God is very small. Your God could fit in your pocket, couldn't he? You listen to me. Your God is big. He wants to fill you with hope. And through faith, he wants to do the impossible in your life. There's no sin that he can't forgive. There's no depression that he can't lift. We've had the most miserable people come into this church and leave with the joy of the Lord in their life. That's what we need. Wow. He's powerful, strong enough to make it happen, and he cares about you. Write it down. Before God can expand your calling, you must expand your perspective. you got to open your eyes. you got to get out of that tent. Calling, what is that? That's that theme in the Bible, that place of purpose, right? That place of victory. God wants to expand his promise in your life, but you're gonna have to open up your eyes and expand your perspective. So God, uh, he, he likes wrestling with people about this. Like if they, if they have their own little complaint department thing, he'll take up the complaint department. In, in a couple chapters before this seminal passage we've been reading in Isaiah 54, in Isaiah 40, God says this. He says, who else has laid the oceans in his hand? Who's measured off the heavens with his fingers? Who else knows the weight of the earth? Who has weighed the mountains or hills on a scale? What is he saying? This is God with a drop the mic moment. (laughs) And he's like, listen, you think your problems are impossible? The whole world fits in the little wrinkle of my hand. I measure the universe with my fingers. Like, what are you saying? Isaiah 40, uh, a couple verses later, verse 21 Haven't you heard? Don't you understand? Are you deaf to the words of God? The words he gave before the world began? Are you so ignorant? I mean, he's throwing down a little bit of like throwing mud at the wall. This is inner city Nuevo, everybody. Like, you ignorant? Do you not understand my goodness and my power? He continues, verse 22. God sits above the circle of the earth. The people below seem like grasshoppers to him. Those people giving you problems, they're nothing for me. He spreads out the heavens like a curtain. Here it is, and makes his tent from them. What is he saying? He's saying you've got to get out of the compression of your tent and look around. My tent, my perspective is big. Side with what I've said before this world ever fell and you'll find my... That's what God is challenging us with. Because he's bigger than you realize. He has more resources than you could ever imagine. And his power to heal and forgive are unmatched in this world. Are you with me, everybody? That is the power of your God. Okay, back to Isaiah 54. What does it say? It says, enlarge the place of your tent and stretch out. You might not know this about me. Uh, I hate stretching. Okay? (laughs) When they'd be like, "Hey, bend down and touch your toes," I'd be like, "I have done that, you know," and and the older I get, what am I? I mean, mid 20s now. Not that funny, and um, you know, but the more you stretch, if you start stretching, the more you stretch, they'll tell you, the more that you'll be able to reach those things. The more you stretch, the more that there's reach, and I think the same thing is true with God. The more we stretch ourselves, we have to embrace the stretch. There's a tension in the stretch. You'll feel it if you're really doing some exercise there. You'll feel that stretch. And there's a tension. And sometimes, especially in our camp, we think that anything that feels bad is bad. But sometimes there's a tension of you growing that's a tension that you need to make peace with and you need to embrace because it's the tension of your growth that's happening. It's true. What does it say? Enlarge the place of your tent, stretch out, and then it says this, do not hold back. Do not hold back. Literally, it would come across this way. Do not refrain or do not withhold. Why does the Bible say that? You know, it's natural. When you start contemplating the things of God or, or listening to him or taking a step of faith or sharing your faith or, or, or inviting somebody in or trusting God with your finances, It feels risky. That's why he has to say, don't hold back. Don't refrain from all of this because it feels that way. None of us would articulate it this way, but this is what it is. We want to hold back. We would never say, God, you can have 80% of my heart. You'd never say that out loud, but sometimes, indeed, that's what we do. And God's calling you out of that junk. That's religion, by the way. That's your old church, okay? We are inviting you into a faith in Jesus. And what does that look like? God, I give you everything. The compelling argument of Scripture is that you will not reach God with one little hand. You ever see that, that, that print of the painting that's in the Sistine Chapel, and they've got Adam, and he's going like, you know, and then God's like, you know, you're not going to reach God with this little limp wrist over here. The compelling argument of scripture is you can't reach God with one hand. You got to go all in, in your relationship. And there's a stretch that happens there, but then you'll be able to reach. That's the idea. Genesis to Revelation, you look it up. There is not one story where somebody has tried to follow God with half of their heart where they don't ultimately realize, remember this moment for the rest of your life. If you pursue God with half of your heart, you end up with nothing. Welcome to New Chapel, where I'm supposed to be giving you candy on the day I want you to pledge. i be telling you, but I'm going to be like, "Go after God with everything." He doesn't say take second place or nothing. You know that, but but it might not build a big crowd. It'll build a big people, though. It'll build you, and that's what we need. Makes me think about Saul, the anointed and appointed king of Israel, a man who was following God with everything in him, but he got to a spot where he couldn't trust God with everything. The prophet gave him direction, and he did about half of it. So the prophet came back and corrected him and said, because you did not trust God fully, the kingdom will be removed from you. Wow. And contrast that in the Old Testament. I know I'm sharing some stories, popcorn, but contrast that with the story of Elisha. If you're a normal Christian, you get Elisha and Elisha mixed up. Just to let everybody know, that's, like, that's road hazards, okay? It just happens. Elisha was the second one. Okay, so Elijah was the great prophet, and he would wear certain outfits. Think of it like you know, when you go into a courtroom, you can tell who the judge is by what they're wearing. Um, you know, in your different football teams, when you're practicing idolatry, your team has a certain outfit that they. Just, just being real. Uh, anyway, but uh, the, so when they saw Elijah, they knew who he was. Is what I'm saying. So Elisha is a farm boy. He came from Conklin. He came from Grant, everybody, okay? (laughs) He's in those muck fields with the carrots or something. I don't know. And so he's plowing it out with an ox. He's got this wood plow, and he's got this ox, and he sees the robes of Elijah come, and Elijah calls out to him, and, and Elijah in that moment receives his calling from God into the ministry. Here's his reaction, totally different than Saul. Elijah takes the plow, takes the sharp portion of it, and kills the ox right there in the field. You're thinking, we could have sold that for money. Yeah, but it represents his old life. In that moment, he made the decision to change. He takes the wood from the pile, busts it up, and starts a fire. My man straight up, country as cornbread, has a barbecue in the middle of the field eating the ox. And then he goes home, kisses his mama goodbye, never to see her again, and follows the man of God and receives his call into ministry. That's following God with your whole heart. God, whatever you tell me to do, if you tell me to run through the wall, I'll do it because I know I'm going to jump through there and, and something out of a cereal box. It'll be lucky charms. It'll be gold at the end of the rainbow. I'll follow you with whatever you tell me to do. I trust God and I want that for you so bad that no matter what he asks, you're willing to take that step. Write it down. It's true. God requires total surrender. Prophet Jeremiah says it. He says, you'll seek me and you'll find me. When? When you seek me with all of your heart. With what? One, two, three. Say it with me. With all of your heart. That's when you find, well, I'm just trying it out. I'm trying. Listen, God will meet you where you're at, but you're not going to experience his goodness, his fullness, unless you go all in. And again, I know this is an uncomfortable message, but this is a life-changing truth that unlocks God's best for your life. And that's what I want. I want God's best. Say amen, somebody. So what does it say? Isaiah 54, enlarge the place. It says, stretch out. Do not hold back. And then it says, lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. Lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes. So you have to have, have strong stakes if you're going to lengthen this tent. This is speaking to a family that's expanding, a family that wants to get pregnant, and it's saying, hey, you want to get pregnant, you better build out that nursery. You better get those tent to get, And listen, you need more cord. Add on to it. Make the tent stronger. You don't want that, that flap hitting the baby in the middle of the night. Get you some good tent stakes in there. Strengthen them. Add to them. You're going to need more infrastructure for where you're going. And this is literal for a family that wants to expend. And it is prophetic for us because this church is pregnant. I feel like God is screaming from heaven, push. What we have to do is expand our horizons. And what do we do? We lengthen our cords and we strengthen our stakes. Strengthen your stakes. This is talking about the depth of your life. Stakes go deep into the ground. It's talking about your rootedness. Are you rooted in this house? Is your impact going to be rooted in this area? And then it says, lengthen your cords. Get super personal with us. This is speaking to the breadth of your life. Like, how far will your impact reach beyond your life if the Lord tarries? And so, friend, the Expand This House campaign has been this journey to make room, and we're called to stretch further than we ever have before. Why? It goes back to the vision from the very beginning. God spoke to my heart that we are for people to connect with God and be raised to a new life in Christ, that we want everyday ordinary people off the street to be able to find a real relationship with him. There are people who are seeking God, and I want this to be an oasis for them. There are people who are de-churched. Do you know what de-churched means? It means they went to church at one point, but either they got burnt from church or they they fell away for whatever reason, I want New Chapel to be a place where you can get your footing again in all of this. And here's what I know. When somebody gets their life right with God, it does not just affect them. It affects their home. It affects their workplace. It affects their neighborhood. And God willing, it'll affect this whole city for the glory of God. That's what it's meant to do. That's our heart. But it only happens when we catch a vision that's greater in ourselves. We can't be narrow like the people of Nazareth. We have to be like Abraham and get outside of our tent. Wow. God is waiting for you and I to expand our faith and to enlarge the place of our tent. You say, Well, Pastor Joe, that's what I've been planning to do. Six weeks, you've been talking about this. And, and so I got my tent post ready and I got my little string and I'm going to go about eight inches deep into the glory. And we're really going to build something. And, and, and I like the string idea because I want to put it around leadership's neck. I have that controlling spirit, and I'm going to tell you all <laughs> what to do. And, whoops. <laughs> Pastor Tommy rubbed off on me, I think. And, uh, and I, I want to build my little hut. It's going to be for us four and no more. This is not what God brought you into this. You are born for such a time as this. And it is greater than your own small perspective of what you think God can do for you. I hate it when people say, "Man, God is on your side." No, 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 no. At New Chapel, we're on God's side. We're going to do what he wants us to do, and that's when we'll see his goodness realized in our life. That's the heart. That's the will. God has a strategic and a unique plan for your life, a mission. And when you come together in a church family like this with other people who are on mission with God, we're unstoppable. Bill Bright, the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, he said this, there is no higher calling or greater privilege known to man than being involved in helping the Great Commission be fulfilled. I believe those words. Francis of Assisi, a great Christian leader in his day, said, give up your small ambitions, come and save the world. Give up on the small things. Give up on the small vantage point of your life. God has more. God doesn't want you to have a rope life that's a joke. He wants you to expand, lengthen your cord, have some real reach in this life, be able to build something strong, not be satisfied with your little string cheese existence of life. No, we're going to build something big together. We're going to, be, we're going to have some breadth of influence in this world. We're not going to have little chopstick church. Chopstick church is what we all came from. The Bible says, lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes, for you shall expand to the right and to the left. Are you with me, everybody? That's God's call on your life. That's God's call on your family. That's God's call in this city. God is not done with religious Grand Rapids. He's only just begun. Sit down. i got to finish this message. My lantern. Because of the stretch of your sacrifice, people who are all around us will know our God and those who are not yet born. Because we're going to stretch and we're going to sacrifice. We will make space for them. I am not going to live my life, have another cup of coffee, have another slice of pie while a generation is going to hell. No, we're going to put the line in the sand. And that is why we pledge. (laughs) Write it down. God, in his plan, is far bigger than we expect and far better than we deserve. You might be asking, Pastor Joe, what role do I really play? He invites you to go further. He invites you to go deeper and greater. He wants bigger things for your life. But you won't see that You won't see it until you embrace his perspective. Let's pray. Oh God, we want your best. We want your mind about things. We give up on doing things our own way. Father, I pray for my church and those that feel the great call of God. I pray that they would respond to that. That they would obey you. And God, when they do, I thank you that you reveal your goodness to them. Lord, if there's anybody in the sound of my voice that doesn't know you, help me to find them in Jesus' name. Heads bowed, eyes closed, just for another minute. If you need to have your life be made right with God, the Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. When you make him Lord or boss over your life, you'll have eternity in heaven and you'll avoid A Christless hell. But his life will rush into your heart today. If that's you in this place, I want to pray with you. Church, pray it with those people who are giving their life to Christ. today. pray it out loud with me. Dear Heavenly Father, Father, Thank you for sending Jesus Jesus to die on the cross in my place place for my sin. sin. You raised Jesus from the dead. dead. I I say, Jesus is Lord. Forgive my sin. Put your spirit in me. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for making all things new. In Jesus' name, amen. Now listen, I'm going to give further instruction if you accepted Christ in just a moment. But can we for just one moment, church, celebrate with those people that made that decision? Wow. And so we come to now. This is our miracle moment. This is what we've been talking about. If you've been living under a rock, we've talked about this for six weeks. We're gonna make our pledge today. It's no offering today, it's special offerings next week. This is our moment, our time, where we've been praying. We're gonna make our pledge before God. In just a moment, we'll release you row by row, starting in the back, so you can come up and make your pledge. Now, today is the day that we're kicking off this campaign, something that you should know. We will accept pledge cards from now until the end of the campaign in three years. Why? Some of you are still trying to put together numbers, and maybe next week you're going to do both your pledge and the miracle offering. I understand that. There's also people who are going to join in our church in the next three years, and they can make their pledge at any time. Today is the day that we're kicking it off. Now, when you came in today, you received a little packet. Let's all pull out the packet that has the little pen and the little rope on it. I want to explain what's happening. Uh, this is a pledge card. And on the inside of this pledge card is an opportunity to put your family's name and really what God spoke to you, hopefully already, that over the next three years you say, Hey, Pastor Joe, my family, you can count on us for this amount. Put your information down there. And here's what this is. This is your line in the sand. <laughs> We're not going to make your information public about what you pledge. It's not about that. It's really between you and God, and you're going to feel that. It's a very special moment because you are lengthening and stretching in the cords of your heart. In that packet as well is this little rope. If we could all hold on to this for just a moment, I want you to hold on to this with me. At the end of this little rope is a card. I want you to write down perhaps the name of somebody that you're believing God for. First names only, you'll you'll know why next week. But write down maybe the name of a person that you're believing God for or maybe a prayer request or both. If you want to keep it private, you can fold it or you can keep it open. Either way. But I want you, as you pledge today, to tie your heart to what only God can do. As you pledge and you give yourself over to this great call that he has on our church family, you're putting your livelihood in his hands. You're reaffirming your trust in him. And ultimately, you're saying, God, as I'm lengthening my reach, I'm believing God for you to move in my life. Maybe it's a financial breakthrough, a healing, some miracle, reconciliation in your family. You write that down in here, and here's how this is going to work. As we dismiss, again, from the back rows to the front rows, you're going to come up, put your pledge card in, and then on the side, there's going to be an opportunity for you to put your rope in. I want you to return this today. Wait till you see the special thing that the team has prepared for next week. Now, would we all stand together? Would you stand up with me? Is that okay? I want you to hold your pledge card and I want you to hold your rope. If you came today and you're not prepared, I give you permission to fake it. (laughs) But many of us are making a real sacrifice today. We're making a real covenant promise with God. And as we worship The ushers will dismiss you. Please don't leave your row until the usher dismisses you. And this is like old school communion. Y'all remember when we used to have those plates up at the front? So we're using like usher plan B for communion, okay? So you're going to come up, and then you're going to go back to your seats. Please stay, because I want to pray all together before we dismiss. Father, we trust you in this holy moment. As we make our pledges, we covenant our hearts with you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Stand and worship. Lift your hands for the blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine on you. Be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And as you go, see you next weekend. Love you guys. We hope that you were encouraged and brought closer to God during this message. You can listen to any of our past messages and series either on this podcast or on newchapel.com slash watch. And be sure to connect with us on Facebook or Instagram to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel.